Planet Football with John Bradley, Premier League, European and International. This is Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. Good evening, it's just gone five o'clock across Merseyside on 105.9 and online across the world. This is Planet Football with me, John Bradley, and with Statman John. Good evening to you, Statman John. Good evening. What do we know? We know that um, Arrigo Bravadani from, from Udinese, a Udinese fan, deserves an award this week. He was the only fan to turn up to a game at um, Genoa against Sampdoria. Uh, he was ridiculed at the beginning, but in the end, all the players um, gave him a round of applause. The home fans gave him a round of applause. He was given shirts. He was, taking... he was actually given the shirt of the Sampdoria captain, wasn't he? He was. He was, inv- he was uh, invited in by the managers. And he uh, last weekend, he was invited in by Udinese um, to be a guest of honour. So it, it was worth tipping up for. It is something about English football and perhaps Dutch and German football. The, the, the fans do travel, but in the other countries like Spain and Italy um, and France as well, the, the fans don't travel, do they? No, not uh, not at all. He expected five or six uh, other people to be there, so it, it wasn't... <laughs> five as or it... six, not five or six hundred. No, five, five or, or six. six. Yeah. Um, so... You know, he was he was surprised he was on his own, but uh, he didn't expect to be in a, a large, um, bouncing crowd. Anything else? Well, I think we have to tip our hats to um, a few teams. Real Madrid, Valencia, and to a slightly lesser extent, Benfica, uh, Chelsea, and Osasuna. For what reason? Well, Real Madrid and Valencia managed to keep Mr Messi quiet on three games this season, and the other teams have done it twice. Really? Yes. Ah, so go on, run through those teams. These are the only teams that Messi hasn't scored against this year, Well, that he's played against. Uh, yeah, well, that, that, that he's not scored against Milan in the Champions right. League, Benfica twice, yep. Celtic, mm-hmm. Chelsea twice, Yeah. Real Madrid three times, yep. twice in the Copa del Rey. Okay. Valencia three times, twice in the Copa del Rey. Yeah. Osasuna once in the Copa del Rey, once in the league. Yeah. Saudi Arabia and Peru. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then in the league, uh, just single t- uh, times, uh, Celta Vigo, Espanyol, Villarreal, Real Betis, Granada and Seville. So they're the teams that Lionel Messi hasn't scored against and today he signed a new five-and-a-half-year contract so he will be doing his thing for Barthet for, well, till 2018, won't he? Yes, he will. The other interesting thing is eight out of the last ten games he scored two goals. The only two games he didn't score two goals against... He got a hat-trick. No. Oh, one was Saudi Arabia, yeah. and the other one was Benfica, and he only lasted 33 minutes. Of course, because he got injured in that, didn't he? So, so he's got one game left. He's... He came on as a sub as well in that game, didn't he? So he did. Uh, he's got one game left. Um, it's uh, at the weekend, and at the moment he's on 90 goals. Yeah, but there's a guy in Zambia that scored more. There is a guy in Zambia... And also, Zico apparently scored more as no, well. No, Zico scored 188 uh, goals, right. so he's been passed. OK. So, Flamenco uh, were up in arms when yeah. uh, Messi got given this award, or, you know, accolade, uh, and it took him two days before he just took the window out of everyone's sails and 
He scored another but two. But the game Zambia apparently got more. But 1972 <laughs> is hard enough to find statistics in Europe. <laughs> to... Never mind the world of African uh, football. Never mind the world of African football. What we can do, though, is we can always go daily into Europe. I would do if it worked. <laughs> Good evening, Robert. All right, gents. How are you? Good yeah, evening. not too bad. How are you? Rob Daly joining us live on the phone from his house for once. He's not away covering football in some far-flung reach of Europe. How nice is it to be at home, Rob? Well, I've got a cold, so... <laughs> it's, all these, uh, it's all this international jet-set travelling that you do watching in world <laughs> football. <laughs> I'm watching it all on telly this week. Exactly, Paul. It's the best place to watch it from in the uh, in the build-up to Christmas week. Let's deal with the uh, the, the first really big story. I think it's the biggest story in European football and world football this week. And, and this is the uh, the Zenit St. Petersburg fans group who have basically come out with um, a stunning proclamation. Now, we want to explain it properly, what they've said. They, they've said that they don't want black or gay players playing for the club. But it's a, it's a bit bigger than that, isn't it? Yeah, it's the group called Landskrona, who apparently Zenit's um, largest supporters club who've sent this on to the management. Um, and, you know, Lucianis Belletti, who's their manager, has completely dismissed any suggestion that they would take on any such policy. Um, you know, and so has Zenit's director of sports as well, uh, Dimar Biesotdorfer. You'll have to forgive me for the pronunciation there, but... You know, the Zenit have clearly dismissed this and Russian football's trying to raise its profile around the continent um, and to certainly establish itself as one of the top leagues uh, in Europe. So this kind of thing, they're very keen to dismiss of pretty quickly. Well, what they've said is that they would like a team full of Russians. If they can't have a team full of Russians, they would like a team from the Slavic nations and people that, that, that they have sort of like a history with, haven't they? That's what they're trying to say more than anything else. Well, it's sort of confusing because you look at some of the players who've performed for them in recent times and they aren't from that area. Well, Danny's been the best player for the last exactly, few years. Exactly the player I was thinking of. And we certainly haven't seen the best of Hulk yet. In fact, I would argue it's been a pretty torrid time for him uh, since his move to Russia. Um, but, you know, this is their... I think what has to be quantified with these kind of things is that this is just one group. This shouldn't represent, yeah. for starters, Russian football. Yeah. And then, secondly, all Zenit fans either. Yeah, and, and, and football in Russia is becoming multicultural. It is being opened up to the masses a lot more, and there are, you know, a lot from ethnic minorities who who are now playing in Russian football, and they go week in week out and play their games without a problem. It is the odd problem that is being highlighted abroad. But then again, there's problems all over Europe, isn't there? You know, we've seen problems in Spain, we've seen problems all over the world. Exactly, and I think Poland and Ukraine in particular, you know, ahead of year 2012 this summer, there was a lot of hype about the racial problems, uh, players, families not travelling to the tournament. Completely understandable, they didn't want to take the risk. Um, but I think that it had been, possibly in this country as well, overhyped, the problems that that would cause. And I'm not saying there isn't racial problems in those countries, um, but, it, you know, a small group, a minority group, 
of people who have hatred for people um, shouldn't represent everyone. I, I Let's remember as well that, that a lot of these countries that we've dealt with lately, the Serbias, the Russias, and the countries where there have been highlighted racial problems, these are still new countries, these are young countries, and while it is utterly abhorrent to, to have something like this, they need educating as well as vilifying, you know, and, and they've got to understand and learn, haven't they? Exactly. Um, and so they're sort of playing catch-up, I suppose, with the, with a lot of the way the continent thinks at the moment. I think part of the problem, for me personally, reading the, the wording of that letter from the sports group is the aggressive tone. Mm. Uh, one of the quotes, something like, dark-skinned players are being forced down Zenit's throats now, which is, um, you know a very awful sentence. I mean, there's no getting away from yeah, that. Yeah, that's just wrong. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, there's there's interesting... You know, if, if the policy was that they wanted players only from the St. Petersburg region, then you might, you know, compare things with how they run in Spain, where you have um, Basconi players playing for teams like uh, Athletic Bilbao. Uh, but I don't think it's uh, particularly comparable here. Yeah. You know, it's a bit... It's, it's a very difficult one. And... Full credit to Spalletti, I think. Uh, the manager has to brunt a lot of this kind of thing, and he's dealt with it reasonably well, I think. Yeah, right. Let's move on, because let's talk about better things in football, and, mm. and let's move on. Where, where are we heading now? Well, why not head to Spain, where there was the game between the top two in La Liga at the weekend, Barca beating Atletico 4-1, although they did fall behind to Valcao's goal on 31 minutes. Uh, Adriano Busquets and Lionel Messi got two in the second half, but we were chatting earlier in the week, John, and we thought that Atletico were very good first half and because didn't they, deserve to be losing. Well, they froze at Real, didn't they? But they were a lot better in the first half at Barca. I thought Falcao froze at the Bernabeu as well, and yeah. in the first half... He hit the post, he sort of half-dragged wide a one-on-one and scored a stunning goal. It was almost Messi-like, the way he took his goal. Um, it was a, a far better performance from him, but there is the issue that Atletico don't have the squad depth, for me, that Barca have. And, of course, when you've got someone like Lionel Messi, who did nothing first half, I mean, it was quite interesting here, all the teams he hadn't scored against. Full credit to Saudi Arabia, it has to be said. <laughs> um, but Messi got one sniff in the first, in the second half, on about 57 minutes, and drilled it into the corner from 20 yards out. And his second one, two minutes from time, was an absolute gift to him. So I thought Atletico did pretty well, but it's clear they're not anywhere near the standard of Tito Villanova's team. So a few weeks ago, we crowned Bayern Munich as champions in Germany. We've now crowned Barcelona <laughs> as champions in Spain. Um, but it's still quite interesting in France, isn't it? It is indeed. I mean, it's really getting interesting there because PSG have gone top this weekend. This is three weeks ago. Ancelotti was saying the French club are in crisis. Everyone knows they have... Uh, hundreds of millions of euros to spend and they brought the likes of Ibrahimovic. Well, they beat Lyon, who were top, and Lyon have very little money compared to PSG nowadays. PSG beating them 1-0, uh, Matuidi with the goal in that game, made by Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but there's been a war of words between the two uh, boardrooms uh, at Lyon and PSG since because of a stamp by Ibrahimovic. I don't know what people think about, whether they think it's intentional. When anything is slowed down, uh, I think it can look intentional. But he seems to stamp on the head of Dayan Lovren, the Leon defender. Well, Lovren actually has said as well that he feels it was a deliberate stamp, hasn't he? Exactly. Then Jean-Michel Oulas got involved, the president of Leon. He He's called it a disgrace and everything. Then Leonardo, who's a director of football at PSG now, he's normally quite a... Uh, 
uh, a quiet figure almost. He's not really outspoken, but he really went off on a rant when he heard Ulas saying that this was a disgrace and Ibrahimovic did it on purpose. So the two biggest, uh, the two top clubs, I should say, at the moment in France... Um, having a war of words off the pitch after a rather feisty game. It was a feisty game, but there was a great moment in, in France this weekend, wasn't there? Involving an unknown player. One of those where sometimes you read a programme and it just says, a trialist on. Well, we had, a, <laughs> we had a faceless, nameless player come on and score. Well, it's the kind of name or kind of thing to happen if you're doing a commentary, as you'd know, John, that make your heart sing. <laughs> when a player comes on and he hasn't got a name on the back... So, so th- uh, he was wearing number 33, Neil Malpay. I'm probably going to get butchered for his pronunciation in the future because he might become a big star. But he came on for Nice. They were losing 2-0 to Evian at home. They'd pulled it back to 2-2. They brought on this 16-year-old kid with no name on his shirt in the 87th minute for his debut. Two minutes into it, he bangs in the winning goal. Isn't that just like, Roy of the Rovers stuff, I think, is the cliche. It, it's amazing that he did it. It's also amazing that Evian scored twice in a game because <laughs> I've seen them lately and they're a bad, bad side. Where's should we head next, Paul? Um, well, why not um, have a quick look at matters in Germany, I suppose, where... A big departure this week. Yeah, Hoop Stevens, the manager of Schalke. Now, we all will have seen Schalke this season because of the way they played in the UEFA Champions League. Absolutely superb uh, for one and a half halves, I would yeah. say, uh, matches against Arsenal, beating them at the Emirates and then drawing at home. But really poor league form. Uh, no win in six in the Bundesliga. They are, let's just do the math quickly, 17 points behind Bayern, who are top of the table. They're seventh in the league. And Schalke have just had enough, really. So um, it's the end of Stevens' reign there. But I think it's interesting how Schalke runs, actually, John, because at the club... You have uh, Horst Held, who is the sporting director, who is very hands-on in player recruitment uh, and in press stuff. He doesn't leave it all to Stevens. Mm, yeah, yeah. He's, I wonder really if the strings are pulled by him and then the, whoever is the head coach, if you like, of the club picks the team. They're not so involved in player recruitment. And when talking about Ibrahim Afli, who's online from Barca, when they're talking about whether he's going to sign permanently for the club, it's Horst Held who is coming out with the quotes, not the first team manager. Jans Keller's got the job, hasn't he, for the rest of the season, the youth team coach? Head of the under-17s he was. So, you know, a huge step up. He has been the head coach of Stuttgart previously. But it's a big ask for him now to deliver until the end of the season. But I suppose the 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 pressure might be off him a little bit. There's been a fair bit of change at Schalke over the past few years, managerial-wise. I think it's their third manager in uh, since since they got to the semi-finals of the UEFA Champions League a couple of seasons ago. So it'll be interesting to see what Keller does there. But managing very big names and trying to keep some of those names in January, the likes of Lewis Holtby, uh, Klaas-Jan Huntelaar um, being linked with moves away, big job on for him for the rest of the season. Rob, stay there with us just for a moment because we need to take a break to uh, take some commercials and that. But I know we've still got so much to talk about in the world of European football this week. We've also got the Champions League and the Europa League draws coming up. So Rob's going to stay with us rather than depart, as he normally does. Uh, stay with us. This is City Talk 105.9, Planet Football. More from Daily into Europe. That is coming right next after these messages. Welcome back to Planet Football on 105.9 City Talk with me, John Bradley, with Statman John, and with Rob Daly as well, who's live on the phone tonight and is getting an extended run because there is so much to talk about, isn't there, Rob? Yeah, we're going to have a look at the UEFA Champions League and UEFA Europa League draws, which take place this week. So uh, a number of English sides involved, of course, including Liverpool. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what fixtures we get out of this lot. 
It is complicated, the UEFA Champions League draw. It is also something that can take ages as well. Gianni Infantini really does revel in his role, doesn't he? He likes it. He'll do, he'll do the draw for anything. Uh, Basically, be... he's the one who looks like the bad guy of uh, Austin Powers, isn't he? I'm not saying anything, because you'll get me in trouble. I know, I know, I know you work for them, I can't say. I can say that he looks like the bad guy off, uh, if you see him, he's the, uh, he's the guy with no hair that you always see on the UEFA draws who looks like the bad guy off Austin Powers. Sorry, Rob, I, uh, I digress. Go I think he can also speak about a billion languages, because no matter what player comes up on stage, he can have a chat with them. We've got Steve McManaman um, at the draw this week, of course, a former UEFA Champions League winner with, with Real Madrid, but let's just Go through the Champions League draw first. So we've got 16 teams. We have the round of 16 we're making the draw for now. The group winners, PSG, Schalke, Malaga, Dortmund, Juve, Bayern, Barca and Manchester United. And the runners-up, Porto, Arsenal, Milan, uh, Real Madrid. Imagine getting them uh, as, a, as a group winner. Then Shakhtar, Valencia, Celtic and Galatasaray. So you can't play a team from your own country in the round of 16. You can in the quarterfinals. So at the minute, there's, there's certain teams that the likes of you know, say Arsenal can't face. They can't play Man United and they can't play the team they played against in the group stage, which is Schalke. I think I've made that more complicated than it actually Yeah, basi is. basically, you can't play a team that you've already played and you can't play someone from your own country. So it does narrow down who can face who, doesn't it? Who is the team that the group winners will want to avoid? I think Real Madrid. Really, in yeah? That, in that runners-up. I, I, I wouldn't particularly like to play Shakhtar either. Right. Uh, I, think, I think we both really enjoyed, you commentated on Shakhtar a lot this season, yeah. John, and uh, I, they were unfortunate not to win their group in the end. Juventus just pipping them to it in the end, their last game in Donetsk. Um, so Shakhtar and Real Madrid would be the teams to avoid the rest of the section. Uh, Porto have been very good, but Arsenal, Valencia, Celtic, Galatasaray, I think if any of the... Uh, eight group winners got those sides I think they'd be pretty happy um, particularly with Arsenal who've been a bit hit and miss in Europe The problem for Shakhtar is, is that they're in their winter break aren't they when the Champions League resumes and it's going to be interesting to see that their last competitive game was in the Champions League when they lost to Juventus. Their next competitive game is not till February when they play again in the Champions League And they might have new players by that point I mean it might be a quite a different setup. What these teams will do, as you well know, will, will Ukrainian, Russian teams will travel to places like Spain, uh, Dubai, they'll try and get football anywhere they can, play friendlies, but it's just not the same. And if Shakhtar suddenly come out of their, uh, their break and they're playing Dortmund or Barca, it's going to be so tough for them, isn't it? Um, but that's a realistic possibility and some amazing potential ties on there. We've got nine former winners of the competition. Um, so Plenty of prestige at this stage. It is going to be a fascinating Champions League last 16 because I think this year, perhaps, the Champions League is more open than it has been in recent years. Everyone points at Barca, but, but Celtic showed that, that Barca aren't unbeatable and, and, and they haven't looked unbeatable this year. No, they haven't. Um, in European football in particular, I think the group stages were a little bit rocky. I mean, they, they did win their group quite comfortably in the end. They could even play... Uh, you know, Barca B team players at the back end of the, the group stage, but compared to their domestic form, they haven't looked as good. They were rocky at home to Spartak, weren't they? Almost drew with Celtic at home mm, before yeah. losing to them uh, in Scotland. So it hasn't been the best of 
UEFA Champions League campaigns. But if they extend that league at the lead at the top of La Liga and can even rest players in the league games, and they'll might put an extra focus on the, the UEFA Champions League. And I suspect for Real Madrid with the La Liga title so far off now after their weekend draw with Espanyol that this competition might be their main focus. I mean, obviously, the Spanish teams are leading the way, aren't they, in the UEFA Champions League this year? Once again, the English teams with Chelsea going out as the holders, the first holders ever to go out in the group stage, have probably not had a great year along with Manchester City. Um, you know, but Italian football stays there, doesn't it? It just stays in and around. Yeah, it's had a few dodgy years. Ever since Inter won the final in 2010, it's been a miserable time for Italy uh, in European football terms. Uh, Inter certainly have fallen away. They've started to build back up again, but that was a wonderful team that went all the way to beat Bayern in 2010. Juve, we've seen, have looked really good this season. Uh, and they may fancy themselves for the title. I think what would be interesting is if they sign a centre-forward who hasn't played in the UEFA Champions League yet this season. If you've played in the Europa League, you can, you can play. You're not cup-tied for the Champions League. So if you've signed a new striker, someone like Llorente, who isn't getting a game for Athletic Bilbao, and some reports in Italy say that's a done deal, but I, I don't think that's the case, um, then Juve will be such a threatening team. Milan, I don't really fancy, even though they're getting their act together domestically. Um, I, quarterfinals is the best I can see from them, to be honest. Yeah, well, we're going to talk to Tony Dorigo about Italian football as well, just after... Uh, in, a, in a short while. Um, let's move on to the uh, Europa League, shall we, Paul? Because uh, it's very complicated. You can explain how it all works. And... Oh, do I, do can, I really you work out, can you tell us? Can you tell us all who Liverpool could face? There's balls. There's slips. There's winners of can play these winners of. It's incredibly complicated. But let's just try and keep it relatively simple. Liverpool obviously played and won their group. They played in a group with Angie, um, so they can't face Angie. They can't play an English side either, so you've got Tottenham and uh, Newcastle, who are unseeded teams, but the rest of it is up for grabs. They could play the current holders, Atletico. You've got Napoli in there, who they faced in the Europa League. Oh, you'll have to remind me, John. Yeah, a couple of seasons two ago. seasons ago. There's yeah. a bit of previous as well from that, because... Uh... Aronica was a, a bad, bad boy in that game. Tried yeah. to uh, take off David Ngog at the knee. <laughs> yes, indeed. He, he's just actually been told he can leave Napoli, so it's very relevant. Anyway, carry on, sorry. We've also got Basel in there, Inter, Ajax, Zenit, Dinamo Kiev. I mean, I'm sure after their trip to Angie, Brendan Rodgers would be keen not to go east uh, in the draw. But you've got a side like Levante, you've got... Uh, by Leverkusen, who've been really good. I think the UEFA Champions League is looking really good this season. I'm really looking forward to how it's going to line up, particularly around the quarterfinals. Do, do you know the funny thing, Rob, is that you're going through all the names of the teams that are in the Europa League there, and there are some big, big teams, aren't there? And it is going to be, and I think it is very exciting. Obviously, we start at the round of 32, so you know who you can face once the draw is made. You know who you'll play in the last 32 and you know who you'll face in the last 16 as well. Yeah, exactly. That bit of the draw will be done um, this week. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see who Liverpool play. And we also have to remember uh, Chelsea transfer into the UEFA Europa League. So, they're a seeded team um, along with the likes of, along with Liverpool, uh, Bordeaux, uh, Dnipro, Leon, Olympiacos, Benfica. I'd argue the unseeded teams are better. It's a really, <laughs> it's a really weird draw. But um, I'm really looking forward to seeing who the English teams get. And Atletico, the defending champions, second in La Liga. They have Falcao, who loves this competition, yeah. top scorer in it, um, in a couple of seasons now. Um, I think it's going to be really 
interesting. It gets a bit written off in this country, doesn't it, at times? Uh, but I think people should give it a chance. And what else are you going to watch on a third? Are you really watching EastEnders? I've, never watched, I've never watched EastEnders in my life, mate. So <laughs> Not <I wouldn't>. you. <laughs> I mean, the, the, but I might as well watch it. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Do you, have, um, do you have a dark horse for the Europa League? Well... I, my dark horse is Dnipro because I think is it that, really? that yeah under Juan de Ramos I, I think that they've played some brilliant stuff so far in the competition and I think that no one will want to go to Dnipro Petrovsk and, and play them out there. No, absolutely not. That would be a, a tricky draw for someone if you're an unseeded team. Um, we've got plenty of I think any any of those Eastern European sides are going to be. Uh, and an absolute nightmare for teams from Western Europe. The thing is, is that they all want to win it as well. The, the, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, in England, we talk about teams not wanting to, to win the Europa League. I think Liverpool have taken it very seriously, and Brendan Rodgers deserves a lot of credit for getting his side through with playing a few young players, but he has taken it seriously. He's just tried to rotate the squad. But, you know, will Chelsea go in there and, and play a full-strength side? Perhaps I doubt it. But the Eastern European side, they will go full-strength, and they will want to win it. Angie have already shown and laid down their marker, haven't they? You wouldn't want to go to any of those countries with a weakened team particularly. Although I th- I do think Liverpool did that young Liverpool team did reasonably well uh, in Moscow against Angie. Yeah. Uh, a very inexperienced team. I think Cody played, didn't he? And there was a few of the youth boys yeah, out yeah. there. Um, but there's so many tricky teams that you could face and it's and also if you if you do go at this stage i mean people say the competition uh, obviously it's not to the standard of the uefa champions league that's why we have these this two-tiered system but if you go in the round of 32 it's not great and we saw it happen to manchester city round of 16 i think last season um after they was it sporting who knocked them out they had already after got, they'd beaten porto they'd yeah. beaten porto wasn't right. it yeah and they and went out to to sporting so and they played it. City played a strong team. It was a very close game. I mean, Joe Hart uh, went up right at the end and had a, a <laughs> header just tipped round the uh, post. That would have put City through. So. That would have done. I mean, the margins are so so small, aren't they, in European competition? I think that's why if you have a goal scorer, that, you know, if you have a, an out and out goal scorer, it's your 20 25 season, you'll do better in cup competitions. Someone like Falcao. Uh, for Atletico and maybe someone like Luis Suarez for Liverpool yeah Rob just give us the format of what's going to happen then. it's on Thursday morning isn't it in Neon what what times are the draws well the the UEFA Europa League one is 1400 CT so that's 1 o'clock um, our time here 1400 and the, just tell me what time it's alright well the quarter alright ok so the <laughs> UEFA Champions League one I think is at Midday. Okay. Okay, I think. Okay, the Champions League is at dinner time at 12 <laughs> o'clock. Right, let's put this into layman's terms. 12 o'clock, dinner time, and then what time's the Europa League draw? A couple of hours after that. And just for all the Liverpool fans listening, just give us an idea of who they can play. They can't play an English team, and they can't play Angie, but they are a seeded team, so list the teams that Liverpool can play, will you? Okay, Atletico, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Stuttgart, Napoli, Basel, Inter Milan, Sparta Prague, Bayer Leverkusen, Levante, Dynamo Kiev, Zenit, Ajax, and Barte Borisov. That's a reasonably daunting list, I think. That is a pretty daunting list. I, I think I'd rather you not have told me that. And I'm <laughs> Liverpool fans will be sat at home now thinking, there's some good teams in that. But what, there is, what well. there is is some great trips for Liverpool exactly. fans in that as well. Rob, thanks for joining us, mate. It's been brilliant to have you on. Thanks for appearing with us on the first few episodes of Planet Football. You can have a nice Christmas now and wind down, can't you?
Exactly. Most of the leagues are shut down for the winter, so I'm just going to drink mulled wine till I'm uh, asleep on the sofa. Tell everyone where you go in there on Friday night. Uh, I'm going to Roots Hall in Southend. Yes! <laughs> Brilliant. Rob, thanks very much for being with us, mate. Have a great Christmas, and we'll talk to you in the new year. Cheers, gents. Thank Th- you. Thanks, pal. That's Rob Daly joining us live on the phone with Daly into Europe. The Champions League and the Europa League draws are this coming week. Uh, Johnny Boy, Statman John, what we got um, one subject we talked about very briefly, I think, last week was this Super League that's been threatened uh, in Russia. Yeah, in the uh, Cooperative of Independent States. Well, um, we've had Zenit, we've had Angie, and we've had the um, head of the Russian Premier League all come out and say, yes, it's uh, it could happen. Uh, there's talk that the 14 Ukrainian top-flight teams and the 16 Russian uh, top-flight teams would be involved. Right. Um, and uh, the Siska um, president has said that UEFA will allow the unification of the championships. I'm not so sure they will, but perhaps they will. So everyone else is trying to play less football, and in Russia and Ukraine and Belarus and all those countries, they want to play more. Well, they they do want to play more. Uh, I think all it is is they want more money. <laughs> I think that's They've the got top enough of... out there with all the oligarchs and all the, uh, well, all the Russian I, I, money. I, I out there. Well, I don't know. There you go. There's that. Um, what else we got? Uh, Mr. Blatter's had a um, one of his gaffes. He's um, FIFA have got a problem at the moment with Indonesia. Um, they don't like governments um, interfering with football. Interfering with football. Yeah. So he said, as a Christmas gift, he is going to allow this dispute to rumble on until the new year without banning them. Uh, this is a Christmas gift to um, the largest Muslim population in the world. Right. <laughs> I've just realised. I've just realised what that means. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, it's it's not quite as bad as his um, <laughs> his promotion of women's football by wanting uh, women to yeah, wear yeah. tighter okay. tighter shorts. But it's um, it's that sort of thing. Have you got anything else for me? Yeah, the last thing is um, the goings on in South America with their version of the Europa Cup, the Copper Sud America. Yeah, um, which is the the Libertadores is the like the Champions League, the Sud America. Is like the Europa League. Um, well, basically, the Argentine, Argentinian, Argentinian team Tigre, yeah, um, were playing in the final in Brazil, um, and they only got to half time. Basically, they're saying the police and the security went in and beat them up at half time, uh, and then they refused to come out. There's various photographs and videos of, of people with bruises and blood. Um, anyway, the cup was awarded to the Brazilians, uh, the São Paulo, and the Argentinians went home. You'd expect some sort of fallout from this, but at the moment there doesn't seem to be much, apart from Mr Blatter saying, well, security is a problem and Brazil needs to sort it out. <laughs> That's the wild world of football in which we live. These things do happen, you see. Everything's not perfect like it is in England, as some people would have you believe. On the way, we're going to talk Italian football with Tony Rigo. That's next. This is 105.9 City Talk. This is Planet Football. Planet Football City Talk 105.9
Welcome back to Planet Football on City Talk 105.9 with me, John Bradley, and with Statman John. On the way, we are going to talk Italian football and the World Club Championship with a man who knows all about it inside out, Mr Tony DiRigo. But first, let's catch up with all the very latest news and stats with Statman John. Brazil have finally got a, a ground up and working for the uh, World Cup. It's uh, One ground? Well, they've got two grounds. The first one... Um, They've got building 14 new stadiums. Unfortunately, two of them, the two that are very well forward, are um, have not been chosen in the end. Uh, but they've now got one that has been chosen. So, hang on, they've built three grounds, and the two of them that they've built aren't going to be used. Correct. What's the point in that? Um, no one's quite sure. Gremio's ground at uh, Porto Alegre... Yeah. Uh, um, that was the first one Okay. that was finished. Okay. Um, it's a 60,000 ground. It's had a match, a 2-1 friendly uh, victory over Hamburg. Um, and the club are a, a bit of a loss why their ground wasn't chosen. However, the ground at Fortaleza, uh, that one, it has been chosen and that one has been inaugurated by the Brazilian president this week. So that's the first ground that's been prepared, finished for the World Cup, which is less than... What, 18... Well, it's 18 months away, isn't it? Uh, yes. I've managed to work that out. Well, she got for me? Yeah, we're at that point of the year where everyone's deciding their teams of the year, their players of the year. I don't think there's anything more pointless than all this team of the year, player of the year nonsense, because it's like the end of the year. It should be done at the end of the season. It's ridiculous. I don't quite understand it. I think it's a... <sighs> Stems from South America originally. Um, anyway, World Soccer, they've decided to do it for 2012. Good magazine, by the way, World Soccer is. A very good magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've picked 12 players, all of whom are in Europe. Uh, the keepers, uh, Casillas. Uh, we've got Lamb. We've got one of your favourite players, uh, Sergio Ramos. Yeah. Well, got... Philip Lamb is my favourite fullback in the world as well. He's the best fullback in the world. Jordi. Uh, Albert is the other fullback. Right. The other central defender is one of my favourite players. Who? Vincent Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've got Perlo, Xavi, and Iniesta. And I think you're probably going to be able to guess the front three. Well, Falcao, obviously, and then Messi and Ronaldo, isn't Correct. it? Correct. Well, it always was going to be. Right, thanks, John. Thanks for uh, keeping us in touch with that. Let's talk about great fullbacks who can raid down the flanks. Uh, Attacking, adventurous, great delivery. Philip Lam is the best in the world. And also, one of the greatest I ever saw, Mr Tony Dorigo. Good evening, Mr Dorigo. Good evening, brothers. How are you, mate? I'm all right, Paul. Do you like that? I, I've just likened you to Philip Lam, good. by the way. <laughs> I had one hell of a career, it sounds like. <laughs> by the way, he, he is the best fullback in the world, isn't he? Well, Philip Lam, if you think of uh, the certainly his level that he's played at uh, throughout a number of years, it's not just one, two, three or seasons, it's, it's so many seasons. You know, absolutely super. Both feet, both sides. Uh, yeah, he's got to be uh, the number one at the moment for me as well. Tony, you, you, you did have a great career and you played in Italy and now you're working for ESPN covering all their Italian football and you're working for Al Jazeera as well uh, on the Italian football and the English football as well. Um, How is football in Italy? I've been particularly excited by the way Roma are playing this year, but there's still a little bit of turmoil out there, isn't there? Uh, There most certainly is, but I think it's certainly in a better place than it was, you know, two, three, four years ago. But as we know, all the problems they got out there aren't easily just uh, swept away. And, uh, you know, it has been... On a second nature for some of the things that's been going on to, to be going on. So to get it 
rid of it completely. It'll take a little while, but they're getting there. But you're right. I think this season it's been a lot better in Roma. Uh, I just love commentating and watching Roma because they, they just attack. They are so non-Italian. Uh, Zeman has just got his side you know, playing as he always likes. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great way. They score plenty of goals, but they concede as well. So they're good to watch, but they've got some very good sides out there. And Juventus, as we know, in the Champions League uh, against Chelsea this season are a top, top side. And they seem to be just about strolling at this season yet again. Yeah, let's talk about Juve because I saw them quite a lot in the Champions League. I, I was in Donetsk when they played against Shakhtar and they were brilliant that night. Yeah. Uh, you know, And everyone said that it was going to be bent to get rid of Chelsea the game. It, it certainly wasn't. Um, OK, Shakhtar perhaps were on the beach a little. We had their three months off coming. But, but Juve that night were, were awesome. And, and it was such a typical Italian performance, wasn't it? Yes, they were, and the same with the, the Chelsea game. You're going two 0 down. I mean, the, these guys they hadn't didn't lose all last season, and I've said they lost a couple of times so far this season. But they are so well organised at the back. You've got you know Bernucci, Basaglia, Chiellini, and then Buffon uh, behind him. So that's one hell of a, a back three and goalkeeper. But then of course Pirlo in front, and they've got raiding wing backs. So they've got two in each position, and uh, and up front, uh, you know Vujinic now is doing the business as we we know he can do from his Roma days, and, and a good little player. Giovinco. I mean, they've got players everywhere. Vidal's a fantastic player. And let's not forget, now they've also got Pogba, who has played a few games this season, ex-Manchester United, and he's uh, fitting in and doing superbly well. But their mentality is so very strong, uh, and they really well organised. I mean, I love watching them. Uh, and some some say, of course, they may be slightly boring compared to a Roma, but uh, if winning all the time is boring, then I'll have a bit of that for sure. Are you saying this through gritted teeth being a Torino man? I am. I'm glad you, you noticed that. <laughs> I actually did the derby a couple of weeks ago as well. Uh, and unfortunately, Torino fans, it was men against boys. Uh, uh, Torino got absolutely hammered, unfortunately, uh, and Juve didn't get a second gear. So it's a long way to go for Torino. But for Torino, I think their aims are very different. Yes, of course, you want to beat your local rivals, but I just really want to see them just stay in Syria, stay there, not yo-yo up and down as they have been, and let's hope they can then progress from there. We've, we've, we've mentioned Rome, we've mentioned the way that Zeman has got them playing. It is very un-Italian-like. But there is still talk that the likes of De Rossi and Co could be departing from the club in January, isn't there? Yes, it is. And it's simply because of the you know the style. He's very demanding in how he wants to play. And I think, for me, the, the kind of the best players, obviously, we know about Totti. But Osvaldo up front and De Rossi have been two of the fantastic players of the last two seasons. He has left them out on numerous occasions because they won't do exactly what he wants. So uh, when they're winning, that's all fine and dandy. But when they don't, he comes under a bit of criticism. But certainly, they need to be very athletic because Zeman, the way he plays, he doesn't like two sideward passes. If it's one, the next one's got to go forward. So basically, it is a, you know, an up and down physical game. He's got wing backs and he plays the high line with a back three, hence why they concede goals as well. But De Rossi just can't seem to quite you know, fit in there and do exactly uh, what he wants. But you certainly know he's a quality player and there'll be plenty of teams that would love him. Because we've seen De Rossi play as one of the back three, hasn't we? We saw him play there for Italy in the European Championships. Yes, that's right. But also that, of course, was uh, the, the previous year when he was when the two centre-halves would split and De Rossi would then kind of drop back into that uh, kind of like a quarterback role. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was uh, the one formation. But... I think certainly Zeman plays a little uh, bit different to that, but that's the thing, difficulty for Roma. They've had to change their system so very radically. You know, this is not just going from a, a back four to a, a back three. You know, this is lots of different tactical changes they've made, and they didn't quite uh, do it under Enrique last season, and now Zeman has changed it, and just when you think they're, they're absolutely flying, they then go and uh, lose you know, to Kiev away or whoever it is, and uh, suddenly things are back to square one. So there's great things happening in the capital with Roma. 
obviously Juve are fantastic as well. But what about Milan? Because the, the, the two clubs are going through what, what can only be described as a, a transitional year, can't they? <laughs> Most certainly, yeah, and Milan especially. Uh, it must be very difficult for those supporters to think all the great players they've had uh, over the years and now having to get rid of Ibrahimovic, get rid of Silva, and you're relying on you know younger players to come through and then older ones that uh, maybe have passed their best. But thankfully, they have El Shirawi up front. who is Tony, Tony, sorry, Paolo, I wanted to talk about him because... You've seen him a lot, and I've yeah. seen him a couple of times this year, and we're reading lots of reports about him. And there's, I mean, he's been linked with English clubs. I don't think he's going anywhere at the moment. But, but how good is this boy potentially? Uh, well, you're right, and that's the word potentially, because potentially he is uh, absolutely top draw. But to think he's uh, he's so young and uh, to be really all the responsibility on his shoulders at Milan, it's a uh, it's a tough old ass. But he's coming through it with flying colours, and you know he's uh, way and above the the City our top scorer. Uh, that just, you know, says it all. The, the lad's got a bit of everything. I mean, he's not the, the biggest, but he's very quick, technically very good. Uh, he's got a great attitude, and clearly when he gets in front of goal, he can stick him in the back of the net. So, no, you're right. He won't be going absolutely anywhere. But, of course, the, the big players for them were going to be Pato. He was supposed to be the one that was going to, you know, come in and uh, shake off his injury problems, but he just can't. And El Shirari just has taken over, and he's doing extremely well. Still, we have the match-fixing problems at the moment, and obviously the latest... Uh, episode of that has seen Napoli uh, basically deducted two points. It goes back to 2010, doesn't it? But now we've got uh, Paolo Cannavaro and Gianluca Grava. They, they, they've been involved and uh, implicated as well, haven't they? They, they certainly have. And it's, it, as I say, it's very difficult to draw a line under it because, let's be honest, you know, a lot of it did uh, go on in the past. And uh, so now when new things come to light, they're trying to kind of stamp them out. Uh, certainly 2010, 2011, we don't want to see anything like that at all. And the punishments have been severe. And this season, trying to look at the Italian league table, it seems a bit odd because there's so many teams with points deducted. Uh, Siena minus six, my own Torino side got minus one. Uh, now Napoli, it's, it's crazy. So that's what we don't want to see. Uh, but Napoli, certainly because they want to go for that Scudetto title, uh, that's a big blow to them, for sure. The, the thing that, I mean, obviously you know that I watch a lot of Eastern European football and spend time in, in Russia and Ukraine, and, you know, it, it seems almost normal out there to have match fixing. Why is it still so prevalent in Italy? And I know they're trying to clean it up, but why is it still going on now? But that's the problem, because if you think back when I played there as well, and, and even previous to that, uh, towards the end of the season, a lot of this sort of thing would would be apparent and go on, and you'd look at some performances and what have you, and you'd, you'd have to question it. But that's what always did happen. To say it didn't is a complete lie. Now, uh, obviously, they're trying to uh, get that out of the game, uh, but that doesn't happen overnight. And that's, you know, part of their culture needs to change. and They need to, to, to learn and own up and, and away we go. But, you know, we had things in, in the English game as well, like with the managers and with the, the bung situations and all that sort of stuff. It's like a big old can of worms and trying to put a lid on it, stop it and move forward. Now, I think that's kind of where we are with the Italian thing, but they're, they're trying. Um, they're trying to get it sorted out, but Unfortunately, the more they dig, the, the more they're going to find. And hopefully it will be less and less and less and less. And I'm sure it will be. And that's the, the most important thing going forward. Now, I know you watched with interest over the last few days and, and last week because your former team, Chelsea, who you uh, still watch a lot, were involved in the World Club Championship. Should they have won that? Should they have won that? Well, well, no, they should have won it, technically, because they've got a better side than Corinthians. But, but why didn't they win it? Well, if you, did you see the crowd... 
I did, I did. People, my God, how excited were they? <laughs> I mean, that game was the be-all and end-all for them. And I think that is the difference. I mean, if you, we were talking about the before the game happened, the build-up to it, you know, is it so important for Chelsea to win that? Was it something that we thought, gee, you know, we've got to get this on our CV? Yes, of course, it's a lovely thing to do, but this Corinthian supporters, and they were just unbelievable. They loved it. 20,000 flew out to Japan. Uh, the team played like they really wanted it, and they come away with the spoils. And I agree with you. I think uh, Chelsea have technically got a better side, but it doesn't matter. You know, that's football, one-off. Uh, they lost the game, and that's it. It, it, it does seem strange because we've seen Barcelona play in the final and they've swept all the sides before them and won the World Club Championship easily. But the English sides, when they go, they never seem to, to take it that seriously, do they? I know back in the 80s, talking to a few of the old Liverpool lads, they saw it as a jolly up. Well, yeah, and and unfortunately, when Manchester United did what they did as well, that it kind of it kind of just devalued the whole thing. Now, I do think it's, it's it's slowly creeping up, but you can't tell me it's as important as you know the, the Champions League or you know winning the, the the Premier League title here or whatever it is. It's just not, unfortunately, yet. And I just think that seeped through to the players. And uh, as much as they no doubt they've gone out there to give their you know 110 percent, uh, I just think that the the hungrier the the, the side that wanted it that much more uh, clearly with the South America. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, on a final note, Tony, I know that uh, you're being ripped apart basically <laughs> down the middle tomorrow night because it's Chelsea versus Leeds, two of your former clubs. I'm sitting on a fence, brother. Splinters are killing You've me. never sat on a fence in your <laughs> life. What's going to happen in that mix? It is one of the big games in Europe this week. Yeah, it really is. And you know what? Uh, and I tried to explain this to this uh, the, the Chelsea fans as well, in that Leeds are going to be waiting for them. They're going to be ready. They're going to be up for this. The crowd can't wait because, as, as we know, brothers, we, we covered Leeds in, when they were in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. And we want them back there, don't we? And that's where they, they kind of belong. But they haven't had much of those sort of games for a long, long time. And yes, they've had uh, a Premier League or a couple of sides this season, which they've beaten, which is great. So Leeds fans love these sorts of games. And especially Chelsea. I know better than anyone else the, the rivalry between them. Uh, and <laughs> so when they come up to Ellen Road, they're going to get some sort of reception. Now, for me, it's all about the attitude of the Chelsea players because we talked about the, the Club World Cup. Well, this is going to be a very different challenge, this one. Uh, but they better be up for it. And, you know, they better be physically ready for this and ready for everything. They've played in, in the same sorts of stadiums all around the world, no doubt they will be. But is that desire going to be there after the, all the travelling they've done and everything else? What Leeds will do, they're going to test that. They're going to test that. If they come through that Chelsea, then I expect them to go on and win. But if they suddenly wobble, well, Leeds, I know, would love to take advantage of that. Tony, I know you're on ESPN tonight doing a German game, aren't you? And you're on Al Jazeera yes. tomorrow, so we, we won't keep you any longer. Thanks for joining us, pal. It's been uh, a great insight into uh, what's happening in Serie A at the moment. Thanks a lot for, for your time. No problem, brothers. Speak soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks to Tony DiRigo. Thank you to you for listening at home. We're not here next week because it's Christmas Day uh, and we're not working Christmas Day. We're having the day off. But we will be back in the new year with all the news from around the footballing world. Thank you to you, Statman John. Cheers. And thank you to you at home. Have a great Christmas. Enjoy what you're doing and we'll see you in the new year.